Good morning, church. We have two readings today. The first is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's printed in your newsabouts if you wanted to follow along there. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The second reading is from Romans chapter 1, from verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, I'm glad you've asked that, and I'm glad I've got a chance to explain really what Christians believe, because it's not that hard. It'll just take a few minutes. Uh, it's essentially six points. The Christian gospel can be summarized in six simple points, and I might just do a few diagrams to represent those points, if that's okay, just as we're going along. It helps me to remember what to say, and it helps you also, I think, perhaps to visualize what's going on. The first basic point of the Christian message is that God is in charge of the world, that he's the ruler of the world. Uh, that he made the world and that really his rule of the world is connected to the fact that he made the world. Because he created everything, because he fashioned and formed and, and made every single thing, he's in charge of every single thing. He's the ruler, he's the boss. And not only of just the world in general, but of us, of humanity. He made us as well. And so he is in charge of us and has a claim on us as our maker. Uh, and he gave us a special position within the creation which is a very interesting thing that the Bible says, that mankind was created not on the same level as the rest of the creation, but actually to be in charge of the creation as sort of like God's agent or his vice-regent, uh, to look after and care for and have responsibility for the rest of the world, rest of creation, but underneath God's authority. So we have God in charge and mankind in charge of the created world under his authority. And there's a part of the Bible that expresses that really well in the book of Revelation, um, in chapter 4 and verse 11, which says that God is worthy of receiving honour and glory and thanks and power because he created everything, all things, and they all came into existence according to his will. But that's, that picture is clearly not how the world is at the moment. Uh, you don't see this ideal picture of God in charge and mankind doing what he says and so on and so forth. The world is very different now, and that's really because we've all rejected and rebelled against God. Uh, we don't want him to be in charge. I certainly don't, and I don't think you do either. 
We don't want someone telling us what to do, some God in heaven instructing us and dictating what life should be like, and so we rebel. We say, no thanks, we would, I'd much rather live life my own way, thanks very much. And that's the experience of humans everywhere, all of us. We all reject God and we all try to be the captains of our own little souls, the captains of our own ships. It's what in the Bible is known by the term sin. You might have heard that word. It's not really about sort of rules or being naughty. It's about rebelling against God, about rejecting him. The trouble is that as we do that, um, the consequences for our relationships and for the world are not good because by rejecting God in his ways, we reject the right way to run the world and be involved in the world and participate in the world, and so things are just a mess. We can't manage our relationships, we can't manage the world, it's just, it falls apart. But there's a more serious consequence as well, and that is that God, because he is God, will not allow us to rebel and to reject him forever. And there is a consequence to us doing that, an eternal consequence. And that is that quite rightly and justly, and because he is loving, God takes wrongdoing and injustice and rebellion into account. And he judges it. And he gives it the sentence it deserves. And that is that he separates himself from us. He excludes us from his own presence. And he judges us. Uh, there are a number of places in the Bible that talk about that. I'll just jot one down there. In other words, we're going to face punishment and judgment for rebelling against God. And that punishment is death. Which sounds fairly hard and fairly harsh even. But in other respects, is, is just right and proper and just that God should treat rebellion like that. But it's by no means the end of the story. And in fact, it's only half the story. The rest of the story and the great news that the New Testament just rings with is that God did something about it. He didn't leave it there. He sent his son into the world, uh, the man Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus was different. He was different from us. He didn't rebel. He didn't reject God. He didn't do things his own way. He actually lived God's way. He always lived under God's rule. And so he didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve punishment. But he did die. He was punished. And this is the extraordinary thing about the cross and about the Christian message, is that Jesus died on the cross, not for his own sin, not for his own rebellion, but for ours. He died in our place as a substitute. He took the judgment that we deserved on himself. Now, of the many, many places in the Bible that this is talked about, I'll just jot down 1 Peter 3.18, which talks about how Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. But that's not all, of course. He rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead to be the ruler of the world, to be the one now in charge of the world, and indeed as humanity was always meant to be. So Jesus, he killed death, he conquered death, he rose from the grave. And because he's now the ruler of the world, he gives a, a completely new life and new start to people who trust in him and who can be forgiven through him. And uh, I'll just write down a Bible verse here and also in the book of 1 Peter that you can look up about that. Well, all this really brings us to a point of decision, I guess, or to a parting of the ways. That there really are only two options open from this point on. Um, that is that we can continue to rebel against and reject God, to, to write, try and run life our own way and to uh, generally be autonomous. But the consequence of that is drastic and it's terrible. It basically is that we're going to be judged by God and we're going to face condemnation and death and judgment. It ain't good. Uh, the alternative is to give up the rebellion, to stop fighting, 
and to come back to God and submit to Jesus, to live his way rather than ours, and so to be forgiven by God through Jesus' death and to be given a new life, a life that will stretch on past death, that will stretch on to eternity. And there's a great verse in the Bible in John, which I love, which says, and I'll just write it down here, the, the reference, uh, everyone who believes in the Son, who trusts in the Son, has eternal life, life forever. But the person who rejects the Son, who continues to rebel against God, well, they won't see life because God's anger, his judgment remains on them. And this, I guess, leaves us with a choice, leaves me with a question to ask you, and, and that is which of these, these two ways is the way you want to live? You can... Um actually get that as an app I have in my iPad you can actually download an app and it talks so if you're trying to explain the good news to somebody and say I'll never be able to explain the gospel to somebody you can actually download it and all you have to do is you hit play and then you can both look at the screen and it talks and it goes through those diagrams uh, with a narrator and it gets to the conclusion that you've done then and you can have it on your phone so if you've got that on your phone or your iPad or something like that um, you can. It's very, very easy to share uh, a gospel outline with people. There was a uh, a thing happening on Facebook back in December 30, and a friend of mine, Sally Jessica Parker, she was quoting her cousin Nath, whoever that may be. Don't know him. Must a preacher preach the gospel in every sermon? Must the preacher preach the gospel in every sermon? Got me thinking about that, and being shy and retiring, I did respond. So it got me thinking about the gospel, and I was very, very fortunate in the church that Shelley and I grew up. Our youth pastor taught us the gospel outline very, very clearly. In fact, the whole youth group went away one weekend, and we did nothing but understand this tiny little... Well, I look at it now, a very basic hand, you know, track that he produced, done on a typewriter, done with bad diagrams, and done on one of those machines. We all know how many people know what those machines are. Come on. The old ER, yeah, Gestetna. I had a friend who collected them. He was weird. Um, it's true, he did, and he was. And anyway, we had these little things, and we learnt the gospel. So that when we were at school trying to share the good news with people, we could actually say, how far did you get in sharing the news? They said, well, I wasn't paying much, we weren't paying much attention in English. And I got halfway point, halfway point uh, through point three. And then we would say, OK, I'm going to sit next to him on the bus on the way home. And I'll take it from halfway point three and we'll move it all across. And there were just countless people that we shared the good news with, with this very simple little diagram thing that he gave us. And we learnt the gospel. It's been very foundational for me, that kind of journey from, from God as the creator to man, the rebel, to Jesus the saviour has framed my thinking, all my Christian life and certainly all my ministry life. And so I believe the gospel is not a stepping stone that you initially believe, not a stepping stone onto further, greater, deeper things. It is the foundation stone on which everything you believe, everything you think should be framed on the gospel. So I, of course, shed great light on this man's theological question and here's my learned response. Uh, 
He asked the question, that's who he is there. What do you think? Uh, I responded. I've made my response much bigger than everybody else's response by cutting and pasting it and blowing it up for you. Uh, I wrote, every sermon, every sermon emanates from and is based on the gospel paradigm. So to me, it's more foundational than an every sermon talk framework. A number of preachers add a gospel appeal at the end of their messages, but this probably isn't considered a gospel talk per se. So everything we do, everything we think, everything we preach, everything we we believe is always based on the gospel. It comes back to that fundamental thing that we are reconciled people to God. We were rebels. We are reconciled. It's by the death of Jesus. And so as we understand that, that, and as we come back to that again and again, never graduating from the gospel, but going deeper into the gospel. Do you understand that? So we don't graduate from the gospel. We just go deeper into the gospel. It becomes the thing that we return to again and again and it reframes our thinking. Uh, and so therefore, it gives us a 5G connection to God. We're continually connected to God on the basis of the gospel. And uh, here's the little diagrams, which of course does not take a degree in art. How many people are blessed to know that, that you don't need to be a good drawer to share the good news with somebody, that you can in fact be about a four-year-old in standard? How many people can relate to that level of art just there in Jesus' name? Okay, got a few four-year-olds. If you can make it fancy, you don't. It's too hard to explain. All right, keep it like that. And so, you know, here we... Uh, here we have this man being created under God. You see, this is where the gospel connects us to God. It reminds us that God is sovereign. It reminds us that God is Lord of heaven and earth. It reminds us that creation was not some sort of random event. The world is not some godless, some godless primordial accident. This place is planned. This place has a design behind it. You are not an accident. I couldn't care less if your parents planned you or not. God did from the beginning of time that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. A preacher I was listening to recently said, have you achieved the plans and purposes that God put together for you in your mother's womb? What a great question. See, it pays to go to church when you're on holidays, doesn't it? Because you learn some things. I learned probably one thing, maybe two. And so here we have it that God is the designer of this, of this world. And un you see, understanding God's place over creation and in creation helps us to understand and connect to him. And it's embedded in the gospel. And it reminds us that we are stewards under his authority. And so we live in a world under his authority that we're managers. And we need to manage the world on a continual basis. I love David Attenborough. How many people are on my team? How many people are barbarians that are not on my team? I love David Attenborough. There's a new thing coming out. Remington and I are besotted with David Attenborough stuff. And there's a whole new David Attenborough stuff coming out in February called the dynasties or something but it's got heaps of monkeys and stuff and it looks cool and I'm just reminded what is that that is merely an expose into the majesty and magnificence of God's creation that's it what is that it's just an expose of God's handiwork 
And so we look at this stuff and we, we look at it and we're, we're amazed at it. But I want to say this. Let not creation be the end point of our amazement. Let creation point to the creator. He is the designer of these things. Endless and amazing things that God has made in this world that we love. Except kookaburras at five o'clock in the morning. Then we don't love so much. Do I have an amen for that? Well, they're just all at my place. They may not be at your place. I'm going to pray that they come and bless you in the mornings. Going to come and you'll never need an alarm clock if you live at my place. I tell you that in Jesus' name. And so we manage the world. Things like microplastics in the ocean, they matter. It's our job to manage the world to the glory of God and for the generations to come. It matters. Global warming, issues like that, we ought to vex our minds on these things. Plastic bags, the reuse of that, responsible mining practices. These things are Christian things to think about because we are managers under the authority of God over God's creation, managing the creation for the generations to come. To We are put in the garden to tend and to care for it. And mandate's still the same. Tend and care for God's creation. You know, Charles Wesley wrote, we're into old hymns today, it seems the Holy Spirit's moving in the olden days. Charles Wesley, the great uh, hymn writer, said, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed. As he looks, what's his response? Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. It's not an ode to nature. This is not an ode to nature. This is a proclamation of praise to the creator of all things. Then he goes on, when through the woods, imagine this in your mind, when through the woods and the forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, except for the kookaburra, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, I get in touch with my inner zen, No, then sings my soul. Creation points to the creator. And we are overseeing creation, but we've not done a good job. We don't look after the world and we certainly don't look after our fellow man the way that we should. We've rejected God's authority over us. We do our own thing. I love this definition of sin that I think he gave a great understanding of sin in that little diary. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I understand it's ignoring God in the world that he has made. I love that definition. It is ignoring God in the world that he has made. And we all just do that so often. We ignore God in the world that he has made. And as a result of that, you see, we separate ourselves from God. Who moved? Not God, us. So we separate ourselves from God. Is it any wonder then that when we die, people will be separated from God eternally? Who made the choice? Who made the choice for people to live eternally separated from God? It is us that make the choice. And so when we understand that we take full responsibility, if people are separated from God from eternity, it's their responsibility. They're the ones that separated themselves from God. God didn't move away from them. However, but what God has done, that being the case, 
That being the state of we all ignore God in the world that he has made. We love to be the managers of our own lives. What he has done, therefore, as a result of that, he has said, That's, I've got to do something. I have to launch a rescue plan. So from the outset, when we first stepped away from God and decided from the beginning of humanity to do our own thing, uh, God had a plan. And that plan, of course, was to send Jesus into this world, to live the model life, to show us what to do and to um, bring us back to God and to be blessed by that. So I love this phrase. I've been rereading Colossians chapter 1 recently. It's incredible. It's incredible. Get your, get your thinking gear around that. Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 to 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you have been reconciled, you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you, to present you, to present you, to present you, and to present you because of Christ's death. How are you presented to God? Present you wholly in his sight. Without blemish because of the death of Jesus. That's how God sees you sitting here today. God looks down from heaven and he sees you holy in his sight and without blemish and free from accusation. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. That's the gospel. And we love it and we embrace it. And we build our lives on it. We never graduate from it. We go deeper into it and it keeps us connected to God in the most incredible way. It keeps us connected to him. So what we do as a result of that um, is that we understand Jesus' death and resurrection, that he's now in charge of the world and that people are going to be responsible to Jesus when they die. So that when we die, it is Jesus who will determine our actions and, and where we will spend eternity. So we have a clear choice to make. And so we always have clear choices to make. You and I will always have a choice of setting out each day to be our own king or to let Jesus be the king over our lives. That's an ongoing thing. But to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour means that we live with him as our Lord and Saviour. It's not a once-off event that was demonstrated in some baptistry years and decades ago. It's a daily declaration that I am a follower of Jesus, that I rely on him as my Saviour and that I follow him as my Lord. That is the course that I've charted for my life. That is the course that I've seen so many people chart in this, in this church, that we follow that way. And of course, we need to take that message very personally. It's a powerful message because I love it because this is a cross-cultural thing before I even invented cross-cultural things for this church. God seemed to think of it first. Don't we all say I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew, to the Gentile, to every person under every nation. It's a powerful thing. And so we rejoice in that. We know it's powerful. The people need the gospel message. I love hearing about kids on camp hearing the gospel. That's fantastic. So many people make the decisions. You've got to pray for our youth ministry and you've got to pray for our children's ministry that they become incredibly evangelistic in their capacity to win children and youth to Jesus. We've got to take the gospel. It's powerful and it's personal. Here's a, a phrase from uh, 1 Peter that talks about, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer, but do it with gentleness. 
And so we, we receive that and we have the answers. And as people inquire of us, we can share the good news. And we live a life that brings credibility and not discredit to the gospel. And of course, we need to take the gospel very personally. Just going to take that one off. No, that one doesn't matter. I'm going to finish with this a scripture that was read to us. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, this message that we've looked at this morning that keeps us connected to God, that reframes our thinking, that we never graduate from, that we just go deeper into. I preached to you and I received and on which you, ha- which you stand. By this gospel you were saved and you hold on to. The gospel is, is preached, it is heard, it is received and we make a stand on it. Have you done that? Have you done it in your life? I want to ask you in Jesus' name, have you received Jesus Christ into your life as personal Lord and Saviour today? Is there someone in this place today that has not actually said, Lord Jesus, I've heard it, but I've not done anything about it. You might say to me this morning, but I go to church. Going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) Being in the building doesn't make you a friend of God. Being a friend of God makes you a friend of God. And the only way to become a friend of God is to reach out and say, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life as personal Lord and Saviour. That is the best thing you can do. You need to hear it. Have you heard it? That Jesus came into this world to, to bless you and to save you. He died on the cross to make you reconciled to God. He's risen up so that you might have eternal life with him. And what you deserve from living like this is not going to be your fate but you can spend eternity with him. That will only happen. It's not a matter of hearing. It's a matter of believing. It is a matter of receiving it and it is a matter of standing on it every single day of your life. Have you heard it? Have you heard the good news? Do you understand it with your mind? I ask you this question in Jesus' name. Have you received it into your heart? It's not a matter of a cognitive understanding. It's a matter of receiving it into your life as personal Lord and Saviour. Have you said, Jesus Christ, come into my life as personal, as as my Lord, as my Saviour? I will dedicate my life to you. I will follow you with everything that I am and everything that I have. I submit that to you. I rely on you as my Saviour. I receive you as my Lord. I will live my life directed by you that's what every one of us must do if you've not I don't care if you've been here for 40 or 50 years you've been here for decades if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right here this morning you might come from Christian parents I want to tell you this God's got no grandchildren I'm going to wind that one back I'm going to bring it again You might come from Christian parents. That doesn't mean a thing. God's got no grandchildren. He's only got children. He's only got children. Everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord is a child of God. And just because your parents believe in in, in God, they're children of God, but you've got to make your own decision. You're not going to go to heaven on your parents' coattails. You've got to make your own decision. Are you a child of God? I don't care if you come from Christian parents and Christian grandparents. Are you a child of God? Do you believe in God? Have you received Jesus Christ? There's only children of God and the Father. There's only the Heavenly Father and children of God. And so I'm going to say a prayer in a minute. If the Holy Spirit's been talking to you this morning, I want you, I want you to track with me. 
I'm going to say a really simple prayer and enable you to make that connection, that 5G connection with God that the gospel brings to you so that you can say, yes, I, I am going to live like that. I am, I'm going to take off my own crown and I'm going to put it over here. I'm going to put the crown of Jesus on my life and that's the way I want to live. I want to live with Jesus Christ as the king of my life. If that's what you want to do today, I'm going to pray a prayer for you. If you've not done that, I'm going to pray for that. If you've already done that, you pray like anything right now that God's Holy Spirit moves on those people who have not yet done that. We're all going to pray then, aren't we? Let's close our eyes. Let's come before God. Let's do business. Lord, this gospel, which is we translate good news, is good news indeed. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world. Lord, come into my life right now, I pray. Be my director. Be my manager. Uh, be my overseer. Be my ruler. Be my director. I give my life to your direction right now. Come into my life, Lord, and also be my saviour. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for ignoring you in the world that you have made. Even if I've not lived a really bad, bad life, as society says, I'm sorry for rebelling against you. I ask for complete forgiveness. Please accept me as your child. Please give me eternal life. Please receive me into your family. I give my life over to you. I will follow you for the rest of my days. I confess Jesus. I follow his command to be baptized into the family of God. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you prayed that prayer today and for the first time and meant it, I'd love you to talk to myself, one of the pastors or one of the elders at the end of the service.